Dave. Scott. We're here, part two. Welcome back, everyone. Episode eight of Seek Professional Help. We're getting very close to 10 now. It's very exciting. You can almost taste it. (laughs) Sorry. I think I've had too much caffeine today. If you haven't listened to part one of this chat with Jenny, which I think was an awesome chat, right? Go and listen to part one now. That is mental if you haven't. Yeah, that's an order. And yeah, if you've jumped, if you have jumped straight onto part two and fully ignored this, then it's your own fault. Yeah, no sympathy. No. Um, <laughs> it's not right, is it? <laughs> I like it. Okay. We'll keep going. Um, quickly, what did you think about that that first episode on reflection? On reflection, I think she is, she's got, on reflection, <laughs> it's coming. Scott's busy reflecting. She, she makes me feel happy. Okay. I came out of that talk, that conversation with Jenny, and I felt happier. That's probably the best way I can describe that. Okay. I don't know what it was. I think some people do just have an aura around them. And from the moment she walked in, stumbled in. <laughs> Not very nice. I tell you, when you are listening to this back, that's probably the only person listening to the back. I can't make those jokes. I don't Scott, know her well enough to say Scott, that. Just, I'm, I'm very angry with what he just said. You should be. I'm angry at myself. Um, no, she, she lit up the room, I think, straight away. And she made me feel feel very comfortable, even though that's my job to do to her, considering she's our guest. So, yeah, she she's an inspiration from the bottom to the top, and she she was the gift that kept on giving. I think. Yeah. Um, there's some interesting and wide ranging topics in this second part of our chat. I think we started to hallucinate slightly and just get a bit giddy but um it got quite late didn't it that's why we did i this is the reason we we had to split up into two parts but it yeah it got quite late and we started chatting all sorts of stuff so yeah yeah i hope you enjoy thank you me or the listeners (laughs) anyone anyone that's listening good okay everyone enjoy part two with jenny coming up I've got a question. I always try and put myself into your shoes. Uh, that wasn't meant to be. That wasn't meant to be, <laughs> wasn't meant to be a pun. Jenny's got this new brace on. <laughs> Just a disclaimer here. My shoes, probably the weirdest pair of shoes in uh, Great Britain right now. But um, I've got a size 38.5. I don't need UK sizes. I'll do Euro. Sorry, guys. What that means. 38.5 on my left foot. And a um, size 46 on my right foot. <laughs> I told you the Frankenheel was a bit weird. It, yeah. and so is. I always try and put myself into your shoes and one of them always keeps falling off. Um, <laughs> no, get out, let, let get me out. start again. <laughs> Cut. I, I, as a medical professional um, who's undergone a lot of rehab and treatment and stuff and been in hospital and had operations that obviously you would have never had before, 
do you think this experience will make you a better doctor and a better clinician? Yeah, 100%. I think I think there's no way, unless you're made of stone, there's no way it, it cannot. Um, yeah, pretty... Uh, I don't know the, the right word, really, but it, it, it's pretty humbling to, to end up... You know, as I say, as sort of the 40-year-old independent woman who all of a sudden cannot take a shit on her own without pressing the call bell for someone she maybe has never even met, you know. Um, shout out to those amazing people in hospital mm-hmm. who do that job. The healthcare assistants and the nurses are just amazing. Um, but, it, yeah, going through that process and the frustrations that come with it, even when the standard of care, like the standard of care I've received here has been exceptionally high, but it doesn't mean there are not frustrations and it doesn't mean there are not people who are amazing clinicians, really well-intentioned, who come in, move your bedside table away so they and the team can speak to you and then don't put it back. And you know it's Saturday night and the nurses are so busy and you don't want to ring your bell to ask for your bedside table. And it's so near yet so far. So you pour coffee on them. <laughs> so you pour coffee on them. I only learnt that trick after discharge day. Thanks for, for the teaching. Um, if only I'd known. But... Um, yeah, so things like that, and I, I, I instantly thought of all of the times that I've done that to some poor patient mm. who can't reach yep. their bedside table or their walker or their, you know, or or I'd be, you know, sometimes I'd be on the phone to just to one of my very dear friends in Ukraine, and they were on the front line, and tomorrow, who knows, maybe I'd be able to speak to them, maybe they wouldn't be there. That's the reality of that, you know, of, of any war, but of this war. You know, it's obviously horrific. And um, and I'd be on the phone to a very dear friend and there'd be someone who'd, you know, be standing there with that facial expression that just says, I'm the clinician, I'm so much more important than whoever you're on the phone to. So put the fucking phone down and speak with me now, patient. <laughs> you know, <laughs> of course they didn't think that. They were all a lot kinder and, and more considerate than that. But it, you do feel a little bit like that, you know, at the, and, and there were certainly times when I walked into somebody's room with that attitude and I have no idea who they were talking, you know, um, on the phone to. They could have been saying goodbye to, you know, their aunt who was on her last legs somewhere else and, and there's me barging in, interrupting to tell them the results of their x-ray or whatever else. But I think in general in healthcare we see our time as just so important and we minimise the importance of the patient's time. Um and uh, to my utter horror, because I always thought I was a bit better than that, <laughs> um, being a patient, you know, with a pretty serious injury really made me realise that actually I'm not that good and I need to do better. Something I learned really early on as a physio on the wards, I don't do a lot of wards, ward stuff now, but really quick one, I learned like first few weeks that even though I wasn't at the time you know, knowledgeable really. I'd got my degree but didn't really know a lot compared to most of the clinicians around. Every time I finished seeing a patient, offer offer to go and make them a cup of tea. Yeah. And go, yeah. I'm willing to do that for you. I'll make you a cup of tea. And they end up thinking you're a better physio or, or whatever than yep. the, the doctors who are super knowledgeable. And they're like, oh, it's you, you're amazing. And I'm like, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing from a from a clinical point of view, but... I'm willing to, to make you a cup of tea. So. 100%. So it's the little things. It's the little things. It, the little things. it really is. Yeah. It makes a massive difference. And the more incapacitated you are, 
you know, the less independent you are, the more those little things make a massive mm. difference. Incidentally, my um, everyone was amazing um, at the the big London hospital I was treated at. But um, my favourite person was the was the inpatient physio. <laughs> she was amazing. <laughs> she was just the person who knew exactly what I needed all the time. Knew when I needed space. Knew when I needed pushing versus when she needed to back off. Just she was actually a very experienced physio. But um, yeah, just that human touch. Where she was the only person who came round where I was never than the lead consultant, the only people who came round to my bedside where it didn't matter how grumpy I was, what time of day, you know, what was going on, how much pain I was in, I was just really grateful Happy to see, see them. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think, I think knowing, yeah, know, knowing where I went wrong for all of my career to date. <laughs> no, it's not quite like that, but. You, you definitely, you cannot put yourself in the shoes of a patient with major trauma or a major illness unless you've you've actually had it. I'm convinced of that, really. You can learn lessons, for sure. But um, for me, anyway, I wasn't I wasn't perceptive enough ever to really pick up those things until it was me. And now you can truly empathise with how it feels. You've lived that and, yeah, I can see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, to a certain extent, with the caveat that everybody's experience is slightly different and, you know, it's no good me bouncing in someone's room trying to sort of G them up and, you know, make crack the jokes that made me laugh when I couldn't toilet myself or reach my water on the, on the bedside table. <laughs> you know, somebody else could easily be like, get the hell out of my mm, face. Yeah. I do not want that yeah, approach, you, you know. That yeah, yeah. And I think... I don't know about you, David, but that's what keeps me going in the health profession because everybody is so different. It's not disease. It's not, you know, what people think when they're in school. I never wanted to be a doctor in school, but, you know, when people are in school wanting to be a doctor, they're like, the body is fascinating. Disease is fascinating. You know, I, I want this career that makes me think. And you're like, no, no. When did you decide you wanted to be a doctor out of interest? Oh, yeah, that's, that's quite an interesting question because it's really not a very typical story. But... I was in, I'd moved, so I spent half my life in the UK, half my life in New Zealand. Despite the accent. New Zealand on a total whim. Um, yeah, it's sad because, you know, in New Zealand they think I'm British, Pommy. And uh, in Britain they think I'm Kiwi or Aussie. So I can't win really. I'm truly. And in Ukraine, they definitely know I can't speak Ukrainian very well at all. But I'm trying. I'm trying. Maybe so the hard. next time we we meet, uh, you'll 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 have you'll have got a Ukrainian accent. Yeah, <laughs> um, Yeah. So I guess it was. So I actually retrained. I, I did something in the military for a few years and then I retrained as a bicycle mechanic because I was really enjoying my cycling. The sport's what? always been... <laughs> I said this story. Have I not told you this? Oh, my goodness. So <laughs> You can't just glance over that. <laughs> so, you know, typical things people do when they come out of the military, you know, do security work, set up their own, you know, business contracting or whatever, they, whatever. And I like, no, I just really liked mountain biking in particular. Did a bit of road cycling, but, you know, skinny tyres not really my thing and the lycra definitely not really my thing. Um, but I, I was big into mountain biking and just really loved bikes, always loved bikes. Sport's been a huge part of my life, you know, my whole life 
probably the biggest challenge of being injured doesn't come as any surprise to anyone is that you know that aspect of missing out on on sport and just just moving just physical activity but anyway love love mountain biking so I decided right I'm going to be a bicycle mechanic for the rest of my life that's what I'm going to do so I did a training course I ended up moving to New Zealand on a whim um, that's a whole another massive story let's not go there but ended up in New Zealand um, New Zealand really super cool country it, it very much is who who you know in many ways still and it certainly was back then you know quite a few years ago uh, so I really struggled to get a job initially as a bike mechanic and I started working in a <laughs> I worked in a factory bagging lollies um sweets in the English word bagging sweets um yep really cerebral work I remember we were not allowed to talk on the production line because yeah. but we could eat as much as we wanted oh <laughs> and I remember pretty quickly yeah do you remember the manager she she rationalised this by saying, look, we don't like theft, we don't like thieves. If we let you eat your fucking fill of sugary shit all day, um, you won't steal a bag of it and take it home. I was like, right, okay, that's fine. So um, really like the jet planes, that was my favourite. Jet planes and jelly beans. If I ever get a litany of weird and wonderful cancers, it'll probably be from those six months. But anyway, I was on a zero-hours contract, earning minimum wage as a recent immigrant, bagging lollies on a production line. And other than my colleagues, who are pretty cool people, it was fairly miserable. And I think I did a few months of that, and I just thought, Jen, like, what are you doing? Like, what? what is this? You've gone from a successful career that you've thrown the towel into, you know, the zero hours miserable contract. But free sweets. But free, that's not, free that's jet not, planes that's not and rush. jelly beans. No. There was even some of that good, you know that chocolate that's never actually seen a cocoa bean in its life? <laughs> that sort of chocolate. Yeah, it's right. the best kind. Yeah. The stuff that Easter eggs are made of. Yeah, there was that too. But um, no, one day I just thought, you know, what are you doing? Um, I, I'd done kind of okay at school until I was about 16, 17, until I could drive. Does that sound familiar? And then all of a sudden you go, you know, you went away and did some other cooler things and some sport and some flying and other bits and bobs. And um, then uh, I guess I'd always wondered if I could do good at academic stuff. That sounds intelligent, doesn't it? <laughs> and the answer is no. <laughs> 100% no. It's taken me maybe 16 years to find out, but the answer was definitely no. Um, yeah, so I thought, oh, maybe I could go to university. And I was reading, I can't believe I'm admitting this to the world on a podcast. I really hope it is only you're, your you're two really, mothers. You're really, you're really over, overselling this across the world. You might, you might hit four of our mates and our mums but yeah yeah where, where's where's your mum this week because she might be on the other side of the world in which case um yeah so i was reading this trashy novel i don't like fiction i was reading this trashy novel about a gp who hated her life and had just got divorced and there was something in there that made me think i wonder if i could be a doctor it's too bizarre, isn't it? But honestly, it's completely true. And I ended up going to getting into uh, Auckland Medical School. Scott's Thank you very much. shaking his head. <laughs> I, I'm learning. I love the way you make decisions. I think it's, it seems so... It reminds so, me of you, yeah, It seems so almost 
flippant, but it works <laughs> out really well. It just, just works out. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Would it work out in the financial markets, though, Scott? That's the thing. I mean, a lot of people have got rich on luck, so <laughs> probably. <laughs> it's the older age. It's better to be lucky than good. Exactly. Yeah. So you read a trashy book yeah. and decided to become a doctor. But it's really embarrassing. I'm admitting this to you know whoever's listening, but it's completely true. And <laughs> so ended up in yeah, shout out to Auckland Medical School. Thank you very much for letting me in. Um, but um, no, no, look, with with every year, I just realised how lucky I was to effectively trip over and fall on my face into medicine because it just got richer and richer and gave back more and more and sort of more interesting, intriguing career. Probably a couple of times I've almost left just because I'm, you know, sometimes you get a bit bored. The world's a big place, isn't it? And there's lots of stuff to do. It's all a bit fascinating. One year I decided I wanted to race bikes. I went and did that, but it was pretty rubbish. It was really good fun though. And eventually, or, 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 or <laughs> motorbikes. No, 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 bicycles. Uh, yeah, uh. yeah. So, uh, and eventually, the dean wrote to me and said, "Look, you, you're just about smart enough to take one year off, but you're not smart enough to take two <laughs> years off. So, come on back, or bugger off." <laughs> so, and um, but but I'm glad I saw it through. Uh, I now work predominantly in rural rural hospital. So, sort of true generalism, really. Uh, do a little bit of everything, jack of all trades, master of nothing. But there's always, you know, there's always phone a friend with, with you know, some ama- amazing specialists, excuse me, who we can um, phone up and ask for ask for advice. And uh, it's a wonderful community of colleagues and it's very, very rewarding to, you know, serve these communities that are really in the back of beyond sometimes, you know, difficult access through to, to bigger hospitals and, um, all the medical treatment you might need there if you get involved in some terrible trauma on your, you know, your farm or whatever. But often we can send an air ambulance and they, they maybe bypass you know, the little hospital I would work in. But sometimes the, you know, the place is flooded, the roads close, helicopter can't fly and it becomes really difficult and you end up with some quite challenging cases um, on your doorstep that nobody would think of that you know, a rural hospital has to deal with don't think you guys really have anything like that over here except maybe in the you know the i don't know west coast of scotland outer or outer hebrides or something like that yeah yeah mm. certainly not in central london <laughs> <laughs> so you do that all over yeah. the world basically wherever. uh just just new zealand actually oh, really? yeah okay. yeah so so although i i did sort of sign up to go practice in in ukraine i, I actually haven't really worked as a doctor there because I haven't needed to. Trauma is really quite simple, mm. horrific, horrible, but but you know simple and formulaic. Especially when you're at the sharp pointy end and you don't have a lot of resources. You know, a typical approach is make sure they don't bleed to death first of all. You know, you, any anyone who's done a, a basic first aid course will know that in the civilian world, apart from checking for danger, your doctor ABC, um, you, you check for airway first and then breathing and then circulation and. Uh, on the battlefield in the trauma context, we do things a little bit differently. We use an acronym called MARCH, and the first thing is M for massive hemorrhage, because that's what's going to... Or hemorrhage is bleeding, right? So that's what's going to kill like you. The, the letter is, is for massive, and then the actual important <laughs> bit is, hasn't, hasn't, hasn't got a letter. It's like so the acronym <laughs> was more... <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so it's massive. 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 You can massive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll let anyone else finish that, but yeah, 
Sorry, go on. <laughs> you, you're absolutely right. And this is one reason why I hate acronyms in medicine. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> because they're often complete nonsense. I, I actually preferred it when we just did eponymous names for things, you know, random you know, random disease names made a lot more sense than trying to fit it into, you know, shoehorn it into a uh, an acronym. Shoehorns are an interesting thing. Here's the thing I learned today. So when two... This conversation's gone so many directions. <laughs> so I random. love it. <laughs> Is this too random? No. Well, you no. don't know, because you don't know what I'm going to say. So I went to this uh, marvellous place, the people who made my brace, shout out to... Uh, a lot of shout outs well. Orthopedics, I know. I've had a lot of people do a lot of things for me, yeah. eh? Um, but uh, the the people who made this brace, I went there, and it 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 does fit into this enormous shoe, but you can't really get it into the shoe without a shoehorn. Shoehorns in Ukraine ubiquitous. You can't rent an apartment without someone throwing in a shoehorn. <laughs> it's like that is interesting. Yeah, you get around someone's house and they don't have a shoehorn, and it's like it's like not having it's curtains blasphemy, or yeah. not having a sink. Like, where's mm. your shoehorn? Britain, not not so easy no, to find. Do you know what shoehorn? Never owned a shoehorn. Underrated. <laughs> do you have a shoehorn, Scott? No, but I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're underrated. And then. the super long ones as well. You know. Yeah, no, no, that's right. Yeah. Ones, but when you get a super long shoehorn, that's a, that's, that's a game right. changer. Yeah, yeah it, it was so weird seeing my Ukrainian friends. Obviously, not not on the front line. We don't worry about shoehorns in the trenches. But uh, anyway, you know, you sort of go back to Kiev or Lviv and see your, your your friends, and they've got you know they're young, fit, healthy people. But instead of bending over to put their yeah. shoe on, they've got this massive shoehorn. It's like about three and a half feet long. Um, cultural differences, eh? <laughs> Yeah, no, that is. <laughs> this segment is going to get cut. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> Should we go back to the shoehorn so shoe segment? Yeah, let's get rid no, of that. No, no, um, let's, let's, let's not do that. This, this episode <laughs> we could be called All About Shoehorns. Shoehorns. <laughs> cool. Um, but yeah. let's, <laughs> let, let's try and find let's, some normality. Some yeah, normality again. Normal. Yeah. So, going back to your injury. Yeah. I am. Very interested. How do you, and I guess Dave's going to chime in here. Um, <laughs> how do you go from start to where you are in terms of like the whole physio process from having a hole in your heel, as you said? Like, yeah. What do you do? What's the process behind that? And like, because it, it must be a very kind of baby steps, just lots of baby steps stacked yeah. together. That's what I can kind of imagine. But I'm interested to yeah, hear the. The, the process you went through, I guess. Yeah, it really is baby steps. And I knew it would be like that at the beginning. It's kind of logical and everyone tells you that, but I didn't realise quite how baby the baby steps are. It's like, you know, baby cockroach steps, mm. not baby human steps. It's just tiny little jumps. And um, I guess the first thing, uh, so it hasn't been until recently that I could even stand on the, the bad leg. So the first thing I ended up doing once they released me from sort of absolute bed rest was getting really good at balancing on my other leg <laughs> to sort of reach things and hop around and move. And it's all about um, it's all about finding ways to adapt what you would normally do in normal life to, okay, so now, like at that stage, I couldn't use my left hand. So I just have my left leg and my right hand to use and you sort of do as much as you can and change the way you do things. Um, but I think, again, patience is the key thing. It's just understanding that there are, there are 
it's not even incremental gains because a lot of days it's losses, right? You know, you, you win mm-hmm. some, you lose some peaks and troughs of, of healing and progression. And just being patient when you're actually going backwards is just a normal part of healing. You know, it's not it's not a, a linear progression, you know, in the same way that the um, Ukrainian counteroffensive that you guys would hear about on TV, you know, it's not... Um, call of duty on some you know games console is like okay you know you're gonna have good days and bad days some days you go forward some days you get pushed back a little bit um and i would say yeah it's more or less the process uh yeah learning learning to use my hand again and try and grip things and move my fingers and that was a really slow process and you see it's still ongoing i can't really make a fist yet um (laughs) learning not to point with my left index finger that's not there anymore <laughs> it's like um yeah just getting used to your new reality really slowly i think i think um as you said i'm definitely going to chime in um i think and if you've touched on it there but what i always try and do with patience is is that thing of setting really small goals, mm. which, you know, if you go almost like a binary, I can't or I can't, can I walk on my bad foot? No, that's failure. Yeah. And so, you know, if you compare yourself to where you were, am I there? No. So this last three months has been completely wasted kind of thing yeah if you look at it in that way and it just has to be little small yeah the first first session or two when I was trying to you know move my ankle move my toe and the toe was like just a lump of stone wouldn't move mm-hmm. up or down really it felt like we would never ever get anywhere ever and then you just chip away slowly slowly you know I think the key thing is your goals have to be achievable Mm-hmm. Not necessarily achievable today, maybe that's too easy, but you've got to be able to look at a realistic time frame and sort of, you've got to have those long-term goals. Yeah, I want to be able to walk on both legs again, preferably yeah. normally, preferably with mm-hmm. no brace, and no support of any kind, no crutches. That may or may not happen. Either way, that's way in the future that I can evaluate that. Yes, it's specific. Yes, it's measurable. But the time frame almost doesn't exist mm-hmm. when you're really just living day to day, you know, particularly if you're in a lot of pain. So you've also got to have those really short term goals of like, um, OK, they've left my meal tray over the far side of the room again. But now I know I can get there mm-hmm. on one leg, carefully balance and pull it back. You know, great. That's a first. I've never done that before. Mm-hmm. You know, or say with the with the big toe thing, you know, it's a. Just get it moving five or ten degrees, which is not nearly enough to walk normally, but mm-hmm. it's a start. But it was it was that functional thing of <clears throat> you couldn't toe touch weight bear with your crutches. You couldn't yeah. act your toe was so stiff that you couldn't even put the toe bottom of the toe on the floor. Really, could yeah, you? yeah. And yeah. then after a few sessions, we went right. Let's you know we've got that now. Yeah, and yeah. And you almost have to remind yourself, I think I think if you generally look at things with a positive mindset, the um, uh, the flip side to that is you forget so quickly where you were. I think maybe the more negative sort of people would 
easily remember just how hard it was last week, but I just didn't really didn't really think about that. I just thought, oh yeah, sure, I've been able to bend my toe like this for oh no wait, I haven't actually. Actually, it's a really hard fought win, and and you forget just how bad things were and how far you've come. And I think you've got to remember that, otherwise you don't feel like you're going forward. Out of interest, do you have a like a notebook or? maybe something digital where you almost note down exactly the small like daily things that you do so you can look back and remember like oh two weeks ago I actually couldn't bend my toe x amount or like something to help you remember like how far you have come because like I saw you walking down and I haven't seen anything before so Mm. from my point of view it's amazing so (laughs) but I I know there's been a massive journey to get there yeah Um, and you just saying like yeah it's, it's easy to forget is quite an interesting yeah I think I've always been really lazy about journaling you know they say you're supposed to journal it shows a sign of intelligence or whatever but I, it's never really been for me but um, a good friend of mine brought me the five minute journal to um, uh, that was you know day one in hospital pretty much he visited and dropped that off for me and um, and I did use that quite a bit and I think the the concept is you just write down three things you're grateful for you know um uh, one one kind of lesson you've learnt today or something, and I'd I'd kind of put that stuff, but also little things like the you know oh today was my first day that I could do such and such, or yeah. or just put down interesting things you know I'd, I'd I'd bled a lot from the original injury, so I'd note down what my hemoglobin was you know, mm. um, I'd note down which bacteria were growing in my heel <laughs> this week. There were five of them. I only even recognised one from from my whole career to date. There were some weird and wonderful things. In fact, the clinical microbiologist came and visited me in person on the ward. So I knew it was quite a big deal. It's like combat wounds are really dirty, so lots of bacteria. So that was another kind of challenge to overcome. Um, but yeah, tried tried to note down mm. a few things. Mm. And yep. physios, you know, I will always be writing. A legally, I have to write notes after every every session I do with a patient. But we'll try and put some markers in there. As humans, we're not good at remembering history, even over a short amount of time. I go actually. This was here a few weeks ago, and now it's here. And someone who's living with it day by day goes, "Oh, I didn't realize. I didn't realize it has made that progress." We've been using scales, for example, to measure your weight bearing. And yep. okay, mm. I can get fifty percent of my weight in that leg. Now I can get fifty-five percent of my weight. You know, mm. and, and objectively going, you go, "I don't think it's got any better." I go, oh, "Okay, three weeks ago, it was this, and, yep. and now it's this. so we." Yeah. So note taking for physios is a little bit of like a journal, and then we have to remind patients of it, and it. It's almost like that thing of like a sculpture every day. If they're just chipping away and chipping away, they don't see those differences. But mm. you take a two-week gap and you see someone again or if someone loses a load of weight and you haven't seen them in yep. half yeah. a year and you go, oh, my Lord, you've lost a load of weight. And they go, oh, have I? You know, they've seen themselves gradually make that change mm. in the mirror and kind of forgotten that, that starting point. So Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's good just to zoom out, isn't it? Mm. And look at yeah, 100%. It. Yeah. That's good. And I think, you know, one of the things you flagged quite early is it, most people on this sort of journey from major trauma, they need a break at some point. You know, I've 
how I've been living my life is, you know, various torture devices given to me by, you know, uh, all the health professionals have been treating me. You know, I put rubber bands around like my fingers to try and make them bend more. And, you know, everything you do hurts and you've got alarms the whole day to sort of, OK, well, now is the time you do your 30 heel raises or whatever. And a uh, couple of weeks ago, I just bend that for two weeks and just went and turned, turned my brain off and saw my friends and had a bit of fun. And um, didn't even go backwards. Probably progressed a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Mm. definitely. So your plan is obviously to go back to Ukraine. Yep. Are you are you thinking are you going to wait out there? Like, is it? How do you think it's all going to end? What's what's in your? How do you think? It'd be interesting to hear from someone that's actually been there and like being around people and all that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, the the one thing that hasn't changed that I think will be exactly what you've seen it on on tv is like the spirit of the ukrainian people and just the resilience and the defiance because you've got people who are fighting for their homes you know for their families literally fighting for their families um for their home hometowns home cities and uh you know that that is an extremely difficult force for anybody to fight against so you see we've got less um Despite all the, you know, all the all the wonderful um, support from the West, you know, we've it, it often feels like we've got less of everything compared to um, Russia who've invaded Ukraine. Um, but you know that that is extremely difficult to to make up for. You got you got people who are motivated, defending the people they love. You know, if you're on the other side of that, that's very difficult to fight. Um, and I think. You know, call me an idealist, but I just believe that good will prevail. You know, and and the people who have had their their country invaded and their land taken will will get that back. Um, and we have got back more than fifty percent, I believe, of what uh, Russia initially took. Which is crazy because Russia is obviously say a superpower, and the fact that Ukraine spirit is kind of fighting through that and and prevailing. Is, is kind of something to be said for the Ukrainian people, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, 100%. You know, dif- definitely the, you know, the Western donations and everything else, I would never minimise that. Um, but, you know, the fact remains, it's very, very difficult to fight against people who are fighting for their families and for their, their home territory, their livelihood. I haven't asked you this before, but have you, have you got any, like, historical or family association with Ukraine at all? Did you know much about Ukraine before any of this? Absolutely no association sure. at all. And I knew very little, and I'm sort of ashamed to admit it now, because Ukraine's a huge country, a really interesting culture, and the people are exceptionally friendly. You know, you can, you can be a cynic and say, well, if you're going to, you know, go help them out medically, fight for them, you know, of course they're going to be friendly. But no, they're just friendly. They're just good people. Um, there are lots of parallels with New Zealand that I didn't realise when I went out there. You know, the I think both of the countries and cultures really respect their producers. You know, the the, the farmers, the agricultural workers. Um, you've got that. You've got this kind of in New Zealand we call it the number eight wire approach. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, um, but it's it's the idea Is that it number eight. <laughs> 
bring out the shoehorns. It's all about the shoehorns. Um, the idea that you can fix anything with a bit of number eight wire, which is a fencing wire. You know, any any farmer um, can can fix anything with that. And Ukraine's got the same deal, and I'm sure you've seen it where you've seen them modifying drones and, you know, modifying cars to make ambulances and, you know, um, repairing buildings with things that, you know, you wouldn't normally use to repair buildings. Um, And they've just got a way of making it work, a, a resilience and a resourcefulness. And I see parallels in that with, with New Zealand. And it, I guess it makes me feel a bit more comfortable there. It feels familiar, that part. Home away from home almost. Yeah, yeah. E- even in the middle of a war zone, which is a little bit bizarre. But, um, you know, and then the openness, I think the openness of the people, the friendliness of the people, they generally give you the benefit of the doubt and they'll be friendly, happy, give you the shit off their back, you know, and it's um, yeah, cool. I've really enjoyed living there and learning about the culture, despite you know, the obvious. Um, Amazing. And I guess that's probably a nice place to sort of start to round this off. But if you had a final message that you kind of want to give to the people, what, what would it be? Oh, probably, probably twofold. One to the individual where, you know, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade, just get on with it. And if you can, um, take the support from people around you and do the best you can because there be plenty of other people who have faced whatever challenge it is that you're doing. And one for everyone as a whole, um, particularly in Britain, thank you so, so much for everything you've done for Ukraine. And please, please don't forget Ukraine. Jenny, thank you. Um, honestly, um, as you know, Scott and I have been making this for a little while, but it, it was quite a long time ago I went, I'm seeing, you know, I'm treating this really inspirational individual and told him a bit about your story mm. and was like, we need to get her on the podcast. You know, it's potentially come a bit earlier than we thought it would, but it was one of those where I was like, everything about you, your your attitude, that mental resilience, that kind of lust for learning and for life is genuinely really inspirational. You've smashed your rehab. Yeah, people have helped you a lot along the way. It's still down to you to, to be the person behind all of that. So... Thank you for coming on. <laughs> Cheers, um, guys. It's been a laugh. This has been, been really, it's really been a real fun. laugh. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so that ends our whole conversation with Jenny over two parts. I don't know about you, but listening back to it now just reminded me how great a conversation we had, how much we covered, you know, from wars in Ukraine to rehab to shoehorns I think we got it absolutely all in and for our first guest I think pretty elite what were your thoughts Scott on getting a guest on and all that jazz yeah I think the guest approach is where we're going to go with this now so if you're tuning in we've got some big plans for the future um, and we've got some really good guests coming up so yeah Stay tuned, watch out for the next episode, it's going to be a good one. And always remember, seek professional help. Oh God, I feel sick.